the artist's perspective, and uh, this is where we talk about art, we talk about life, and we talk about how uh, how I view life as an artist. And um, for those of you who um, hopped on and uh, checked out the last show, I want to say thank you. And for those of you who decided to follow me, a special thank you to you. I talked a little last week about um, Australian artists that I had been uh, checking out. And it's, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, every time we stop and we look at other artists and we view their work, and I'm, I'm talking about like the, like the one foot view. And, and I say this because when I go to galleries, um, sometimes I freak the guards out a little bit and I don't, I don't mean to the security people, not the guards, although I think they are guarding the paintings but I like to get I like to do two things and the last time I did this I was in a gallery in uh, Kansas City Missouri and uh, the impressionist paintings were actually in a hallway that was probably maybe 10 or 12 feet wide and uh, complete access to the paintings as usual and and I would stand with my back toward the one wall and I would view a painting for a while from 10 or 12 feet away and then I would actually uh, step in really close like uh, like one foot uh, and just with my hands behind my backs so <laughs> that's my typical posture just to send a signal to say hey I don't mean any harm here I just want to get a close look and and uh, what was cool about that particular gallery is photography was not a problem so I was actually able to take some pictures to to look at later on the uh, the Van Gogh painting that uh, they actually found a grasshopper in, um, was at that gallery. And I, uh, was able to observe that painting for quite some time. And, and, you know, I, I will say I probably spent three hours, um, viewing about a half a dozen paintings. And, uh, I just like to see the individual brush strokes. I like to see, you know, and try and, you know, figure out what the, what the thinking was and why that color. And then when you back up and you go, man, you know, now I see why it works and would I have made that choice and these are all the crazy thoughts that go through my mind and I only say this to um, to say that you know when I observe any artist and these Australian uh, painters really was kind of the same way for me I want a close look I really want to try and understand you know what was the what was their world like what did their palette look like what uh, what type of brush you know were they using and what you know, what with their strokes short and choppy or long and fluid. And because all of these things, when observed like that, I mean, they, they, they influence us in a, in a certain way. And if, if we allow them to, now we, we can always take the 10 foot view and learn from that uh, distance as well. Um, but man, there is nothing like the, nothing like the one foot view where you can really see the paint and the texture and the colors and the, um, just all the different little gestures and things like that. So the, um, I only say that to, to say that, you know, when you're viewing art, consider this, you know, think about taking this viewpoint because you learn a lot. And if you want to take it a step further, you know, take a little corner section of, uh, one of your favorite painters paintings and, and actually, uh, you know, try and replicate a little small section of it and this is actually uh, taught by Brian Mark Taylor in the master's mind video series where he actually recommends that you do that every day for like 
for like 30 to 60 days. And uh, I, I, I've tried to follow that video um, to the letter. Um, I've start and stopped numerous times because it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's a, uh, the program that he lays out, I have no doubt that it is uh, life-changing and can make you a better artist in a hurry, but it requires a tremendous amount of discipline, and I guess I'm just not quite there yet. So, uh, But I keep trying. I keep going back to it. I keep trying the exercises, and I think I will uh, keep trying as well. But anyway, um, I was talking about these uh, uh, these Australian artists, and you know, I, I, it is remarkable to me that I spent a long time, you know, viewing, viewing art, especially impressionistic art, thinking that, uh, you know, that somehow, uh, you know, the, the late 1800s France actually had a kind of a corner on the market as far as impressionist painting went. And, um, you know, what I've discovered, um, later on and actually uh even you know up to a few years ago when i was introduced to um I, you've heard me mention tc Steele, an indiana artist who was actually doing the same thing down in brown county indiana that um that was happening over in europe um during the impressionist and post-impressionist period and it was uh actually I've now come to discover that it was actually very global, and um, I had no idea. And when I was first introduced to these uh, artists from Australia, there were a few things that really struck me um, about their about their painting and about um, what they do and what they were trying to accomplish. And one one thing that is similar in all cases is that they were all part of a group and um, the group down in Indiana, you know, uh, TC Steele actually brought people together into a, an artist community and they, they painted together and lived close by and some of them probably lived together and, uh, and the same, you know, happened with the impressionists, you know, they tried numerous times, the impressionist in, uh, in uh, France, you know, they tried numerous times to create a, create a colony and to live together and paint together and um the uh the movement in australia was actually um called the heidelberg school and uh heidelberg was actually an area that that existed like on the outskirts of uh outskirts of melbourne in the uh, in the late like around uh like 1880 1890s kind of in that in that time frame and the artist uh you know they all painted in plein air they placed a significant amount of importance on presenting um scenes and things that were truly uh australian and i guess what i mean by that is uh they wanted to to paint something that was completely uh, authentic and unique to this particular area of Australia where they lived and where they painted together. And I thought, I thought, man, that's, uh, that's really, really cool. And, um, and you know, you see the same in, in every instance. I mean, you look at TC Steele and some of my favorite paintings of his are kind of these Vista views, um, 
from uh, like from the home where he lived. It was it was like high up on a hill. But just you know, you don't always think of Indiana as uh, as having these rolling hills, but Brown County, Indiana, is actually very distinctive in in its hillsides and um, lots of deciduous trees, and um, so there was lots of color change in the fall. Um, and so he too, really, when you look at his paintings and especially after you've, you've been there, you really get a sense that, you know, this is, this is a a really good representation of, of this particular area of Indiana. And, um, you definitely get that sense. Um, you know, when you look at, uh, uh, paintings from the French impressionist, when they were painting in Paris, um, you know, those, those paintings, um, you know, like Lautrec, you know, he was painting his surroundings. I mean, it may have been in brothels and bars and uh, on the streets of uh, Paris, but it's very distinctively that area. And uh, the same was true for these uh, Australian artists who were part of this uh, Heidelberg school. Their paintings were very distinctively um, Australian. And I think that's what I like the most, uh, like the most about them is uh, their representation of that. And so it, it just made me think, you know, last, I was out painting last weekend on Sunday and, you know, that thought was running through my head a lot where I was going, you know, what, what is it about this scene that I'm looking at that is distinctive to Michigan and especially Michigan at this particular time of year, late summer. Um, and, uh, so it, it was, uh, all of the things that I had been kind of studying and looking at and uh, about these artists and their paintings, you know, it just rolled right into my own, um, into my own painting and my own art. And, um, I couldn't stop the thought. I just kept going back to it. And I was just thinking over and over, like, man, what is it about this that I'm painting that says Michigan? And, um, so I, I think, um, you know, that, that made that particular painting even a bit more successful than uh, than it would have been before because I was really trying to to do it in as genuine a way as possible. And let me see if I can explain that. Um, I don't I don't mean that I don't paint in a genuine way all of the time. But here's an example: when we paint the same things. Um, over and over, we come we, we become very familiar with our with our surroundings, and you know one of my favorite things to paint are these tree lines that are in the distance. We have a lot of wooded areas around here that are surrounded by open meadows or open farm fields and things like that. And that's very distinctive to uh, this part of Michigan and you know parts of northern Ohio and and you know there are other parts of the country that are similar to that. But we do have some mild rolling hills in Barry County where I live. And when you paint this a lot, you know, you, you can fall into, um, a portion of your painting becoming formulaic where you learn a technique on how to represent something. And then the next time you're standing there and you're painting it, you actually just replicate what it is that you already know in your mind. It's sort of like being on autopilot and uh, and just doing it because you've uh, you've always done it that way and 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 it 
so you so you see it and you just put it down and and you don't really give it like a whole lot of thought and um this uh this actually um this uh, this whole you know thought process that i had um and, and I, I will tell you that i f- i fight that uh frequently where i don't want to i don't want to be formulaic and so this week i actually did something completely different and i know this is probably a little bit off uh, topic of where i was headed but i will just i would just tell you so you know um i saw a, a video by um jose salvaggio on uh on youtube i follow him and i just i saw him mix some greens using two colors i couldn't tell exactly what the two colors were i had a suspicion that one was uh, ultramarine uh, blue and so i just sent a message to his assistant and said you know would you mind sharing with me you know what jose used to to paint those greens at the beginning of this painting and and um she uh, kindly wrote back to me and and said, uh, you know, he uses uh, ultramarine blue, which which confirmed what I had thought, and but and he uses olive green. And you know, I didn't even know olive green existed. I mean, obviously, I know olive green exists, but I didn't know. I had never consciously seen or paid attention to the fact that olive green exists in some of the list of paint suppliers of the uh, paints that they the colors they provide and so um so I went out and and I purchased it and I brought it home and I did some experimenting with it and the way I typically experiment with new colors is uh is I mix uh I mix that color with every other color on my palette so i get a two color mix and then i half tone that so i take that color and i mix it half with white just because when you mix it with white you get a real sense of what the uh uh, because the color can be quite dark if you're mixing a lot of dark colors but then as soon as you cut it in half with white you you get a real sense of what that color actually is and i intentionally uh, introduced this color into my palette this week because i wanted to kind of shake up that uh that kind of distant tree line and and the forward trees how how i would typically paint those i would have used the same colors that have been on my palette for quite some time and uh i was amazed actually at the uh variety of of colors that i got in greens i mean the variety of greens and how well the distant trees actually kind of set because I would have made them very blue, very purple, um, very gray, uh, blue, purple. And, uh, this olive green gave me an opportunity to mix something completely different. And I think it's more successful actually. And I only say that to say that when these, um, Australian artists, I, I was going to get back there, I, pr- I promise. Um, you know, they, when they set out to represent the area in which they lived in this authentic way, that's what I'm talking about is, painting that painting last weekend if I would have just done it the way I'd always did it it would have came out quite different but I intentionally wanted to think about and represent the the scene that I was looking at in an authentic Michigan way Um, and as soon as I saw Jose mix those colors on his video I said oh my gosh that's that's what I need in order to kind of break up formulaic way that I might be painting and so it worked out really cool and I feel really good about it. And, uh, I encourage you to, um, you know, to look at and think about things in this way uh, when you get a chance, but I wanted to, uh, to talk about, 
um, just a couple of these um, artists. There, there were an, a number of them uh, who were painting together at this time, who, who were considered part of the Heidelberg School. And, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the prominent artists were Arthur Streeton. Um, Arthur um, had uh, traveled to England a number of times, and actually he, uh, he even had an exhibit, even though I think he may have felt like it was unsuccessful um, at the Royal Academy. Um, he was influenced by, uh, by Turner and, um, and other, and also influenced by the, uh, by the French impressionist. And then there was, uh, another painter by the name of Walter Withers. And, um, I'm giving you these so you can, uh, you can take a look and maybe search them on, uh, on the web and, and see some of their work. Uh, Tom Roberts, uh, Charles Condor, uh, Frederick, um, McCubbin, that's kind of an interesting name, McCubbin, um, and it's a, uh, it's really uh, it's really cool. But the the two that I'm most att- attracted to is uh, Arthur Streeton and Walter Withers. Uh, a couple of their paintings, I'll I'll mention some of them, and I'll actually put a link, um, I'll put a link in the description, uh, description of the podcast here, so you can actually go. Um, and check out some of these paintings, and you can see uh, you can see what I'm what I'm referring to. Arthur Streeton's uh, painting uh, at Templestow um, is the name of the painting. When you look at this uh, this painting, you really get the sense of a, a very dry and parched landscape, and the uh, the trees, you know, have uh, kind of long trunks, and and uh, the foliage is is kind of grouped like more toward the toward the top and um, it's very much what you would expect from uh, I've seen other Australian landscapes where you just have these trees that the trunks just seem to go on forever and then there's just a small grouping of leaves at the top and I know there are a number of varieties of trees that um, work out this way grow this way I don't know if they work out or not <laughs> here's the funny thing about a microphone and and a podcast you never know what's going to What's going to come out of your mouth? Um, so, this painting—you um, enter from the right-hand side by this very white, uh, has has a, a warm tone to it, but there's some blue in it as well, where I'm sure it's reflecting the uh, sky. But it comes in from the right. It sweeps over to the to the left third of the canvas, and then back to the right toward the middle, and then back to the left into what. Uh, looks like a grouping of buildings and things. And I think I actually read that the white building in this painting was actually a hotel um, at the time. And then you get the sense that that road continues on kind of up and over this hill that you see in the distance. And there's this one tree um, that sits up on the top of that hill all by itself, um, very tall with these sparse foliage on the top. And there's a wagon that's going down the road, and uh, uh, what looks like a lady in a dress who's following the wagon. It looks like a hay wagon, and you see uh, dust that's kind of coming up from the left-hand side. Um, there's some uh, some cows in the field to the left, and you, it makes you wonder, um, you know, what on earth could these cows be eating? Because the whole scene is a very uh, very yellow ochre. Um, you know, with a, maybe a, 
a touch of Indian yellow uh, or or something like that in there, and the uh, uh, the greens are are very um, yellow green, and you you really kind of uh, feel like you know there there's no water left on the earth in this in this painting, and so I, I think it's I think it's really cool because um, I think it's a beautiful representation of of what, uh, you know, what this must have felt like, um, at that time, um, in the height of, a uh, of a very late summer, uh, summer drought type conditions. And it, it appears as though the wagon may have disturbed a few birds that are, uh, in the trees. Cause there's a few that are just kind of flying right around the treetop, um, to the right as the wagon goes around that corner. Anyway, so um, at Temple Stowe by Arthur Streeton, um, there'll be a link to that, so you can uh, you can check that out. I just I just think it's a it's just a super painting, and another painting by Arthur Streeton um, that I really liked for similar reasons is um, is called Golden Summer, and it's actually uh, um, it's Golden Summer Eaglemont. This particular painting, um, there's a boy in the kind of right-hand side, lower third of the painting, um, with a hat on. He's in the, mostly in the shadows. And, um, I will say that, uh, if, if he hadn't have, uh, actually highlighted his left shoulder and the left side of his face and the left side of the hat, you may not even notice him right away. Um, because he's kind of down in this little, this little ditch sort of area. And there's a bunch of sheep in there, so you, you get the feeling that he's kind of responsible for the sheep. And um, then this hillside in front of him, uh, again, with similar eucalyptus-type trees um, along the tree line, very sparse. I thought it was interesting, and maybe this was uh, the sky, and this one actually made me think of some of uh, some of Turner's work, so possibly some Turner influence got into the into the sky here. Uh, the shadows in this particular painting, um, because it, there's the landscape is, is bright in front of you. And then the valley out in front of that is actually very, very blue, very much in deep shadow. And then on the other side of that, you get another section of uh, ground that's very lit up. And then there's some mountains in the background. And um, But when you zoom in on this painting in the foreground, um, in the, in the shadow area, in the middle part of the painting, um, just the amount of color, I mean, the, the pinks and the purples and the, uh, 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 turquoise colors and these beautiful grays, uh, are just all in there, which are helping to create this, create this texture and things in the foreground. And you still get the sense that this is a very, a very dry, uh, a very dry climate. Um, and then there's some buildings over in the upper right hand side of the painting. And you can actually see the moon, um, in here, which took me a while to even notice. And maybe some of you, you'll go right to the moon, but because there's this bird that's flying near this tree that sort of draws your attention to the bird. And then you see the moon right away. And potentially that was, uh, that's what he was thinking. Um, but I, I don't think the painting's about the moon in any way. It's it's totally about um, getting a sense of uh, of you know what this landscape feels like more than uh, more more than what it what it looks like because I, I it's like I want to drink a water when I see it. 
Um, but this shadow makes me very comfortable um, because I get a sense that there's some relief there from uh, from the hot sun and the things that are parching the land out in front of you. Um, and it's, I'm sure that's why the sheep are hanging out there because it's uh, because it's it's cooler. So um, anyway, this uh, Arthur Streeton, um, Eagle Mont, you'll be able to. Uh, I think it's yeah, Eagle Mont. You'll be able to check it out. I'll give you a couple of uh, a couple of examples from uh, Walter uh, Walter Withers, and the first one that I wanted to uh, show you. Um, it's really funny that I said the word show you um, because I'm used to being on video, not on audio. So the first one that I want to talk about is actually called uh, Seeking Gold. A very different approach to, uh, to painting than uh, Arthur Streeton. A little more, a little more detail. And um, I do, uh, I, I've learned that this group of painters did tend to hold a little bit more to um, classical styles of painting in, in incorporation with their impressionist painting. Um, but I think Arthur uh, probably departed from that more than the rest. Um, but you definitely get a feeling in this painting, um, Seeking Gold by Walter Withers, that um, you know there is still some, some classical style painting in here. Um, but this particular painting, the, the trees that are, there's a river here, and um, it's coming right out of the bottom of the painting. Um, lots of movement in it and it's just filled with color. I mean, uh, uh, greens and blues and purples and yellows, and um, it all works beautifully, um, but there's a lot of color in that water. And there are guys who are, who are on each of the shorelines, and they're actually uh, uh, panning for gold. And, um, but the, uh, the handling of the background, if you block the lower two-thirds of the painting out, you'll see that the uh, background and the sky and everything is really impressionistic, uh, very soft, very almost like like it's been, you know, blurred by depth of field in a camera. Um, and uh, this person who's in the foreground panning for gold is obviously in very sharp focus. And then the rocks that are in the extreme foreground right at the bottom of the painting are actually also very, uh, very sharp. Um, but I like the way the light colors on the bank and stuff really lead you back through this painting. And then there's some more of that bare ground um, that is up in the hills. And uh, it does a really nice job of bouncing you around this painting. So I'll, there'll be a link to this one as well. And then uh, one more of Walter's uh, paintings, um, which was actually very uh, impressionistic. And I, I enjoy this one very much is... Uh, and you'll notice um, one of the things I noticed about his paintings in general is he tends to paint s skies that are um, more stormy, more gray, or deeper blue, or uh, because he uses that to like really set off the highlights in the uh, in the trees and stuff that he's painting in front of him. And in this painting, that actually works very very successfully. You know, I don't know if this is a eucalyptus tree or or what it is, but I've seen some of these bare sort of bare bark white trees in a lot of Australian uh, uh, paintings, and um, I probably should have researched that a little more so I could share that with you. But that's okay. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll catch that later. Um, but 
he does a super super job of uh, of uh, using that effect to really set this tree off. And there's a large tree on the right hand side with these greenish blue bushes that are kind of down around its base. And then there's a lady walking um, with uh, what actually appears to be like one of those kind of Dutch hats, something that Van Gogh might have painted. Uh, she's walking toward the toward the tree. There's some houses in the background. You can see some clothes hanging on a line. And there's a little cow by some purple flowers over on the right-hand side. So this what attracted me to this particular painting was, first of all, how dark that background is to set everything else off. And also um, how there are these elements in here, like the highlight on the house, like you discover this cow by the purple flowers and you see just a little rooftop above the purple flowers. And then over on the left-hand side, you're looking at the rooftops and where uh, some other things are being lit up by the sun. And you see, oh, there's another cow over on the left-hand side and he's by purple flowers. And and then you see this lady with a red shirt um, walking towards you. And then you catch that red led my eye back to the middle of the painting where the clothes are hanging on the line. And um, anyway, I was just really enjoying the fact that my, uh, I was, my eye was moving all over this painting. And um, because of this one tree in the foreground, it really gives me the sense that this is Australia, even though, you know, my brain could have said, you know, this is clearly Dutch because of the hat that the lady's wearing. And I don't really know the story, but uh, I, I may uh, see if I can't figure out where this was, uh, where this was actually painted. And, uh, um, but anyway, this one's called, um, called the last of summer. And, uh, you really get that feeling with, uh, you know, the, the ground again is pretty parched. And then you see this, uh, very dark sky. You get the feeling that, uh, that there's a season changing. And I don't know why, maybe it's the way the woman is hunched over or something, but I sort of feel like she's, you know, like it might even be, uh, might be a bit, a bit windy. Okay, so um, this is uh, this is my first attempt at um, doing something visual on audio. So I hope I hope that you found something of uh, something of value here, and uh, and you definitely will if you go and and look at these paintings. Click on those links and and uh, check these paintings out, and you can see uh, some of the things that uh, some of the things that I was talking about. Um, but I, I just want you to be encouraged, and uh, you know, I I go after it kind of hard, and um, I'm always working on working on it, if you know what that means. And um, I, uh, you know, I encourage you to do to do the same thing. Is is if you're in a uh, a very comfortable zone, um, you know, find a way to find a way to bust out of that, and and actually, uh, you know, try something different and, and try these thoughts. I mean, when next time you're out painting, you know, or, or whatever, whatever art you do, um, it doesn't have to be painting. Um, it can be anything, but, you know, just think about what is it that's distinctive about this scene that says, this is where I live. And um, even that thought alone will change the way you see things and it'll really kind of uh kind of change the way uh change the way you you uh you execute so um anyway i, I uh just want to thank you for for joining me um on this episode of uh, the artist perspective 
And uh, I will uh, I'll catch you later.